Hey there. Welcome to another episode of Broadband Conversations, the podcast where women across the technology, innovation, and media sectors talk about what they're working on, what's on their minds, and what's next for the future. I'm Jessica Rosenworcel, Commissioner at the Federal Communications Commission. And get your coffee because we are going to talk about democratizing coding. In other words, it's not just folks in hoodies madly typing at a keyboard. And we're going to learn about it today with two women who have revolutionized how kids, and let's be honest, adults too, are learning how to code. In just a second, you'll meet Samantha John and Jocelyn Levitt, the co-founders of Hopscotch, an app that allows users to code and design games, art, and animations on their mobile devices. Samantha and Jocelyn, welcome, and thanks for joining me. Thank you. Thanks so much for having us. Sure. Let's start off with a little backstory. Tell me how you each got interested in this field and how you got to where you are today. Okay. Uh, this is Samantha. So I'm I'm the more technical co-founder, and... I got interested in the field a little bit later than a lot of people than most people do with coding. I I went to college for engineering and when I got there, I wasn't sure what type of engineering I wanted to do, except that I knew computer science was off the table. It was the first major I just eliminated. Tell me why was that? I'm not 100% sure. It was some combination of feeling that I wasn't very good with computers and also having this sense that maybe computers were for people not like me. I bet you're not the only one to feel that way. Yeah, I think that's very true. So it wasn't really till till my senior year of college that I I needed to take some computer science classes for my major, which was ended up being applied math. And then I made a website for for a club I was a part of and a lot of people started using the website. So then I started spending all my free time just making this website better. And it all kind of clicked for me where I realized this activity, which I found really fun and really rewarding and resulted in the production of a really useful content was something that I could have a career in. And I was really excited about that. I love that you're telling this story about being creative. We don't always hear that as a narrative about why people got into computer science, but it's so important. How about you, Jocelyn? So I became interested in Hopscotch. I I'm sort of have more of the education background, um, and I was always interested in education. I grew up in Honolulu, Hawaii. I was um, sort of always interested in experiential education because for me those were um, the times that education resonated the most with me. It was not necessarily when we were in the, in, in the classroom listening to a teacher writing stuff on the board, but rather when we were out in the natural environment, learning about, you know, not learning about biology in the classroom, but like out actually examining plants, spending time, you know, growing stuff. I remained interested in education throughout college. I uh, was a teacher and then I went to business school and, and sort of got into software um, on this other sidetrack um, and was interested in con- consumer facing software and realized increasingly that there were very few women who founded companies and even fewer who were engineers. So you thought you would do something about it. Well, yeah, I I sort of was looking around and trying to figure out why that was and realized that it was, it was sort of an education problem because early on the, the people that ended up going into engineering and being very good at it were 
most of the time all, all looks pretty similar, right? They were all sort of upper middle class, typically white men. And um, a lot of those guys had been exposed to computer programming pretty early on when they were in middle school. They got into video games and they wanted to build their own video games and they sort of got into it as, as through play and sort of as a toy. And I realized there wasn't really a whole lot out there for women and girls in when they were in middle school. So that's sort of how we decided we wanted to set out and create um, a toy that got girls into programming too. Yeah. So tell me a little bit more about creating Hopscotch. You're giving me a sense of why you got started. Is there anything else that inspired you along the way? Yeah. I mean, I think for me, I was always, when I first became interested in consumer software, it was interesting to me that it didn't seem like there was a very easy way to get started actually building stuff. Um, I wanted there to be a tool that existed that where I could learn how to build, where I could actually make something without having to type. And it seemed like you could, like, I wanted to be able to use all the concepts of programming without actually having to learn all the very um, specific syntax so you associated a, with different programming languages. So you wanted to work, sort of develop a system for people to understand conditional logic and things like that without having yeah, to understand. Yeah, precisely. Right. For us, there was also this aspect of the iPad had just come out, and we both got iPads, and we're really loving them and kind of wish that we could do more with them. So Hopscotch was very much also a reaction to that, where especially I as a coder wanted to code on my iPad, and I knew that typing in the code was not going to be a very fun experience, but it seemed like there were other modes of of doing coding that, that could work really well on the iPad and be really fun. Yeah. So what we developed with, is with eventually came out with, with Hopscotch, which is this programming environment, which is what you do is you drag and you drop their blocks of code. So rather than typing out each line of code, it's blocks. They're already sort of encapsulated, and then you build your code up by dragging um, and dropping different blocks of code. So you can program a full-fledged game on an iPad or an iPhone without ever having to type anything. So it makes it easy to be a creator and not just a consumer online when you're using that mobile device. Exactly. Yeah, that's, that's so <laughs> important. Um, so why don't you tell me, as if I was a doubter, why is it critical to teach kids about coding at a young age? You know, for us, it's not so much about teaching kids coding, I don't know that that skill in particular is that important. I think what's important is that coding is this thing that kids can do at, a, at an adult level, at a, at a real level, where they can, I think there are a lot of, a lot of aspects of your life as a kid where you, you aren't allowed to do the real thing. If you want to cook, you have to use an easy bake oven. Or if you want to draw, you get crayons instead of nice paint. Or, you know, if you want to drive a car, you get a little fake kid car. You know, and part of that is because the materials are quite expensive or dangerous. And with coding and computers, the materials are, are very cheap and very available. And you really can have the best, greatest materials. And as a kid, you're not really limited in the way that you are in other fields. And that's a really powerful experience for kids to have. So in that sense, I think coding is a really wonderful activity for kids because they can actually make something real that they want to use, that other kids want to use, and it's not just a nice pat on the back from their parents. 
um, you know, that's cute that you made this thing. It's something real and something they can interact with. Right. You know, that's definitely yeah. the first time that I've ever heard anyone talk about an easy bake oven in conjunction with learning coding. So <laughs> I'm going to give you a first for that. But I know what you mean. It gives kids, I think, a comfort level with the tools of the digital age at an early Completely. It's, well, it's empowering. And, I mean, at the end of the day, we think kids realize that so much of our lives are, you know, increasingly um, dictated by computers or, you know, computers are this very, very powerful thing surrounding us and, and integrated into every aspect of our lives. And so to be able to feel like they have some sense of mastery or control over that, that's extremely empowering as a child. Yeah. And useful for their long-term education. So tell me a little bit about what kind of feedback you've received from educators or parents and kids as well. So Hopscotch has been really transformative for some kids. And we've, something that has started to happen, which is, has, was unexpected and is so heartwarming, is that kids have started coming to our office to visit. They make pilgrimages. Yeah. So, we, so we get we get notes all the time from um, from parents saying, you know, hopscotch has been transformative. You know, it has changed this kid's life. And from kids, too. We get love notes from kids being like, this is the best thing ever. I never thought I would be able to build stuff and really be able to code stuff. So, again, there's this idea of, of being empowered, which I think really is some of the most resonant thing. If you give a kid a real tool that's open-ended, that they can build what they want to, and they can see that they have the power to create what they want, like that is deeply empowering for a kid. And it, and it, and it stokes their interest. I mean, it makes them realize that, you know, more than just a job, like um, being able to code is, is sort of a source of um, creativity, which is really, um, I think, what people want. They want to be able to be creative. And so, you know, we hear from people being like, this is, you know, we, we, we were looking at this question. We were kind of like, let's see what we found. We found a, a love note from a, from a parent that was like, you know, coding gives, you know, your program has been transformative for my 12-year-old daughter. She's entered these difficult middle school years. Coding has given her the confidence that my introverted little girl never had before. It gives her something to be great at. And, like, I see her helping other kids in her class with their programming She's bonded with her parents, with her dad about how to build things and how to debug things and forced to learn and was, has been forced to learn how to problem solve in a real world practical way. Oh my gosh, um, that's fantastic. Yeah. You know, if nothing else, please know that you have made an impact on a young woman's life. And for that, I'm very grateful. This is a note from a parent, you know, and so we get this and we're like, oh, you know, it's great. It makes us feel so happy about what we're doing. All right, I want to hear some more about the pilgrimage. Is you've really actually had kids show up in your office? Oh yeah, we. I think one kid, one kid came, and then told the other kids on Hopscotch. There's a forum. They told the other kids that they had come, and then all these kids started asking their parents as their birthday present or as their vacation. They said, "Oh, I don't want." I don't want toys this year. I just want to go on a trip to New York to visit the Hopscotch yeah. office. We've heard variations of that multiple times. So, it's like instead of do, going on the class field trip to Washington, D.C., she wants me to, to, to take her to New York City to visit the Hopscotch office. You know, instead of like a birthday party, mm-hmm. he wants to come to the Hopscotch office. <laughs> wow. That's something. What about educators? Yeah. Do you have work that you do directly with educators or is it more informal? It's, in, it's 
usually pretty informal, but definitely we are in great contact with our edu with educators who use Hopscotch. Uh, one we've been working with recently. Just read a, guy just read an AP book on statistics and it include and was using Hopscotch um, as a way to to demonstrate various statistics. What kind of statistics? How were they using it that way? So he's a statistics teacher and. The thing that you can do with Hopscotch is you can create a character that has some sort of slightly random behavior, and then we have this function called cloning. So you can create 10 of that character, or 100 of that character, or 1,000. So if you're trying to teach statistics, you see how useful that is, because you can add some randomness and then put a 1,000 things out onto the you, into your yeah. program and see how they behave in a statistical manner. Yeah, you, you model out statistical probability using hopscotch characters. Oh, that's fantastic, especially because statistics is becoming, I think, a portion of math that everyone needs to spend more time on and combining it. With <laughs> My God, yes. <laughs> feels so yeah. logical. So when you began the process of starting hopscotch, what surprised you most about starting a tech company? Something that really surprised me as, as a programmer, I had worked at tech companies, and in my mind, the way you started a tech company was you got a bunch of programmers in a room, and then they just started typing out code, and, and magic happened. And what we found was that it's more complicated than that, and starting a company is about knowing who who your customers are and who's going to be using your product. and and how they're going to be using your product and talking to them and understanding them and what they need. And, and that actually turned out to be more difficult and more important than, than just the straight coding, coding the product part, which is what I had thought would be the hard part. So did you work with a lot of kids or use educators or come up with focus groups? How did you go about doing what you're describing? All the time. We are test we are play testing all the time with kids and to a lesser extent with educators. Um, but we and and it took us a while to get to this point because it's 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 hard to find sources of fresh kids all the time to be play testing with. Um, but that's something that we realized that we we um, that I think we we didn't really start out um, doing as much user testing as we probably should have, and something that we see other companies when they are starting out, they often don't do also, and it's um, really important, I think, is that you're constantly um, actually seeing how users interact with your product and what they want, what they like, what they don't like. Yeah, we, we did it more almost before we had a product because we didn't have... We didn't have, yeah, we didn't have, uh, you know, a company to run as much. We were just trying to build out our MVP. So we spent a lot of time talking to teachers and going into classrooms and trying out different versions of the product. And then maybe we lost it a little bit once our product was in the wild and we had real people using it. We didn't. We were heads down time. just building product, building product, building product rather than check doing sort of this cycle of iterating, checking with people, you know, building something and then making sure that we we're building the right thing. So you're two women at the helm of a tech <laughs> company. Tell me a little bit about what surprised you most about starting a tech company and maybe what surprised you given the fact that you're both women. So what surprised me about starting a tech company was the extent to which it's 
just a company like any other, and it's not all about writing code and build, being an engineer building a product. It's about really understanding who's going to use your product and who your customer is and what they need in their life. That makes sense. Yeah, and as a woman, I think one thing that, surprised, that has surprised me is that you hear a lot of business advice as a woman and career advice about how to act more like a man in order to advance your career and what are the things that men do well that you can also do. And you don't hear as much advice about what are the things that women do really well that really can improve a company or make a company successful. And I think that most of the things that we've done that have been most successful for us are maybe a little bit more female typical things. And we really haven't run our company in the way I think that a guy would run a company. We've run it the way that we would run a company. Oh, and that sounds we strange. like it better than, than <laughs> it's a lot more of fun male, for us. male companies <laughs> well, that we've seen. No, you're just saying be who you are and you're more likely to be successful. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I guess isn't that the truth to a lot of success, right? Like you just have to sort of lean into like you do you and just be like, okay, this is how I'm going to do things. Absolutely. Like I can't play somebody else's game. I have to play my own game. No, I totally, totally think that's right. Now, I want to do a little quick lightning round with some questions I ask every guest at the end of the conversation. So to each of you, okay. what was the first thing you did on the internet? The first thing I did on the internet, the first thing I did on the internet is like right when the internet was coming up is I signed up for a Eudora mail account and sent emails to my boyfriend who'd gone away to college. <laughs> like we would just send emails back and forth. Oh, I love it. That's, that's <laughs> a good one. I'm a little younger than Josh. So I was, I was maybe 10 or so when I got AOL and I, I signed on to some of those chat rooms. And so I would go on AOL Kids chat rooms about swimming because I did swimming then. Oh, fantastic. What was the last thing you did on the Internet maybe just a few minutes ago or this morning? This morning I kept my computer closed, actually, which I, I sometimes like to do and just think without a computer. But last night I set up my – I'm running a marathon this fall, so I – I set up my training plan on the internet. <laughs> Mine's pretty boring. I mean, I think I just like check the weather and email. I guess the last thing I did last night, I, I did some research on travel. Oh, both of those travel and a marathon. There's some goal making and all that. Um, now, last question. What do you hope the future of the internet and digital life looks like? I mean, I, you know, this, this is interesting. I think that, um, it will become both more integrated into our lives in a more seamless way, and I think that there will need to be less, or I hope that there will need to be less explicit focus on it, because I think the Internet, because it's always there, and especially with social media, you're constantly sucked into it and you're connected to people all the time, and I think that there's gonna, we're going to sort of reach a point of saturation and then hopefully dial it back a little bit, because it feels a little unsustainable now. I feel like... We're just constantly connected, and it's not – you need a break sometimes. 
No, but I think there's going to maybe be, I think that there will be less explicit connection. And at the same time, I think um, designers will do a better job of integrating um, the Internet more seamlessly in places that we do need it and sort of eliminating it from ex places where you explicitly have to be like, okay, I have to check it, you know, open up Instagram, pull the refresh, um, open up Twitter, pull the refresh, you know, and hopefully it will just be more sort of quietly and nicely designed, integrated into our lives and there when we need it, but not hovering over us all the time. That sounds good. Healthier digital models. <laughs> I hope. I hope. <laughs> we could all use them. All right. Now, before we go, where can folks follow both of you to keep up to date with what you're doing with Hopscotch? Well, you can follow our Hopscotch account. Um, it's just on Twitter, at Hopscotch. Um, you can also follow us both on Twitter. Um, I'm at Jocelyn Levitt, J-O-C-E-L-Y-N-L-E-A-V-I-T-T. And I'm nominally on Twitter, but not very active. I'm not very active on social media, but I'm Sam John. But instead of an O, it's a zero. All right. Well, that wraps up another episode of Broadband Conversations. Thank you both, Samantha and Jocelyn, for being here, for what you do. And thanks to everyone for listening. Take care. <laughs>